to me. Normally we start off with a word of prayer on such a intense and important critical subject. But how about, uh, thanks. <laughs> how about, how about a song about the blood? Do you know some? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, that song's not only a song of worship, it's also a song of salvation. For it's true. Doesn't matter how scarred you are by sin, your sin can be washed away and forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and shedding his blood. But it is also a song of spiritual warfare. In fact, many a times when I'm in a prayer, deliverance, intercession kind of environment, we will lead off by singing, what can wash away my sin? And then if we really want to make sure we pack in the power of God, we sing that song. Do you know the song? Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you, O oh, evil, a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Come on, you know this. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Do you know the second verse? Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And when you get done singing that, you just make this statement. So there you go, Satan. Get behind me. How about that? Now, you may think that might be facetious, but friends, I've seen time and time again calling on the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a little bit of a gory thing. You think about it, especially if you're new to church or been outside a Christian understanding a worldview. Blood, what are you guys talking about? The blood represents the life poured out that brought about the defeat of Satan because Jesus was obedient to the point of death on the cross Thereby every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends of the dark side of this world hates, despises, fears the blood of Jesus Christ because it represents the victory of Jesus. And if you ever find yourself in a place of oppressiveness in life or just weighted down and you can't figure out maybe what's going on, we're going to talk about that some today. Start singing something about the blood of Jesus Christ, the victory of Jesus Christ. They will run in fear. This subject that we're in is not child's play. 
In fact, we are in a very serious place, I believe, as a nation, and yes, definitely in the world. But we're in a different time than when I grew up, when we used to sing those old hymns of the faith. My mom was the piano player, and we would go early, and I would always hear her playing the piano downstairs before I got came down to get ready for Sunday church. I look back on those years. Yes, I got some age to me, but I'm not that old, young people. Uh, <laughs> but it's a different day today than when I grew up. I think there's a lot more toying in the spiritual realm. There's a lot more ignorance amongst Christians related to the spiritual realm. And that's why we do a series like this. We take it on, not for the sense of the novelty, but for the sake of the need. I came across this headline this week. It was an article in MarketWatch.com, actually. Why Millennials Are Ditching Religion for Witchcraft and Astrology. Got a couple pictures here. Some co-founders of an astrology app, CoStar. Don't go there. It's not child's play. It's also a lady who, she has a market by Caitlin, and she sells occult accessories. This is what the article said in part. When Coco Lane, a Brooklyn-based producer, meets someone new these days, the first question that comes in the conversation isn't where do you live or what do you do, but what is your sign? So many millennials read their horoscopes every day and believe them. Lane, who is involved in a number of non-religious spiritual practices, said, quote, it is a good reference point to identity and place people in the world. Interest in spirituality has been booming in recent years, while interest in religion plummets, especially among millennials. The majority of Americans now believe it is not necessary to believe in God to have good morals. A study from the Pew Research Center released Wednesday, this past Wednesday, found the percentage of people between the ages of 18 and 29 who, quote, never doubt existence of God, unquote, fell from 81% in 2007, said that was true of them, they never doubted the existence of God, to 67% in 2012. Meanwhile, more than half of the young adults in the United States believe astrology is a science. BTW, it's not. Compared to less than 8% of the Chinese public. Sounds like Chinese public's doing better than we are. The psychic services industry, which includes astrology, aura reading, mediumship, uh, tarot cards, reading, and palmistry, among other metaphysical services, grew 2% between 2011 and 2016. It's now worth $2 billion annually, according to the industry analysis from IBIS World. Melissa Jane, owner of the Brooklyn-based metaphysical boutique, Caitlin, said she has seen a major uptick in interest in the occult in the past five years, especially among New Yorkers in their 20s. The store offers workshops <clears throat> excuse me, like Witchcraft 101, Astrology 101, and a Spirit Seance. Whether it be spelling, uh, spell casting, tarot, um, astrology, med meditation, and trance, or herbalism, these traditions offer tangible ways for people to enact change in their lives, she said. For a generation that grew up in a world of big industry, environmental destruction, large and oppressive governments, and toxic social structures, all of them seem too big, this can be an incredibly attractive thing. <clears throat> now, I think all of us would readily identify to stay away from things of astrology, occultism, and those kinds of things, that we would say, oh yeah, there would maybe be spirits that are attached to those, and trust me, some of the most... Um, 
difficult sessions I've been a part of or people that have been involved in the occult and the strongholds and, and packs that they've made and trying to break those packs and find them their way through freedom. And it subtly works its way in, of course, in other things away. Spiritualism is in, but religion or Christian faith is out kind of idea. And so you have a lot of people experimenting and going down paths. And I can guarantee you this. There are demonic spirits that are attached to those things which you're pursuing and seeking. Stay away from them. But it's not just in those what we would say way out there weird kind of things that the adversary attaches himself to. As we're going to see today, he attaches himself to other subtle things in our life and can wreak as much havoc and destruction in our life as if we were maybe even involved in some of those things that we would perceive as alternative spirituality issues. The reality is this. When you try to tap into those realms, you're dealing with that excluded middle that we've talked about. The excluded middle of the invisible that's in this world, it is there. But I tell you what, it is not something that is neutral. There is either the divine in life or there is the demonic in life. There are good angelic beings and there are bad, fallen, evil angelic beings. It's one of the two. This is not a world where we have the God is the good force working against, you know, Satan is an evil force. God is the creator of all things. But creation fell going back to the garden with Adam and Eve because the serpent raised his ugly head there and enticed Adam and Eve. And the fall happened. And we have all kinds of, excuse me, hell going on in our world. Some of it we see in the natural realm. Other aspects of it are in the unseen realm. That's in this realm. We are here as a body of people to remove our ignorance and address the fears in this area of spiritual warfare. One of my key goals in these weeks has been to demystify the whole discussion of demonology. It's a discussion not had in churches very often. So we live in blind ignorance, as we've talked about. Hopefully, as you become more educated and knowledgeable in these weeks, it's not caused you to fear, but caused you to have power and faith over that which can be evil around you. We talked last week about the authority of Jesus and that you have an authority and it's fiercer than you think. And in our life group this week at, that I'm a part of, I, it was great to hear a couple, three people in our group say, that authority issue was so important for me to know and to understand. And you're right. I, and I told them, I don't want wimpy Christians. And we're wimpy Christians when we fear things. When I read an article like I just shared with you, it doesn't make me fearful. It makes me indignant. It makes me mad, not at the people that fall into it, but Satan for his lies and how he pulls people under. So what am I to do as a pastor and as a co-heir with Jesus? Address the issue, operate in the issue, enforce the authority of Jesus, his power that's in the finished blood of the cross that brought about Satan's defeat. We've talked that there's three battlefronts for all of us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. In Ephesians 2, it talks about these right up front. It talks about the ways of the world that we're succumbed to. The mindset around it, we renew the mind, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. The cravings of the flesh, the sinful nature, the me, 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 selfish part of us. That's 
a primary struggle in our lives. And we overcome it by choosing to live in the spirit, as it says in Galatians 5.16. But there's also a third battlefront below the hyphenated line that is the devil himself, as Ephesians 2 says, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work and those who are disobedient. And there's only one thing you can do when there's a direct attacks of the enemy through his workers, through his oppression, it's to overcome the enemy, as Revelations 12:11 talks about. Now, this is my point today, so it's right up front for you. Number seven, we won't repeat all that gone before us. You can listen online to those, or you can, the slides are online as well on our website. You have a freedom, and it is not as far away as you think. Jesus is our divine healer and deliverer who expels the forces of evil attached to the garbage of our brokenness, weakness, and sin. The unmatched power of Christ is enforced when we come to him. All right? I'm going to have us read that together just so we're dialed in. Here we go. Ready? Number seven. You have a freedom, and it is not as far away as you think. Jesus is our divine healer and deliverer who expels the forces of evil attached to the garbage of our brokenness, weakness, and sin. The unmatched power of Christ is enforced when we come to him. I want to read uh, this scripture out of uh, uh, Mark one twenty one. What chapter is this in? Mark, what chapter? Twenty-one verses in. Twenty-one verses in to Gospel of Mark. Mark's believed to be the first gospel that was actually written. Twenty-one verses into chapter one, and we get this story concerning Jesus' ministry. Then they went to Capernaum. Now, he was familiar with Capernaum, sort of hung around there. And right away, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because, like the scribes, and that's what we talked about last week, he was teaching them as one having authority. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus, Nazarene? Because that's where he's from. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I want to pause right here. A couple of things I want to point out. It says authority, of course. Mentioned that from last week. It says a man with an unclean spirit. Some of you, if you got your Bibles open or your apps open, does it say unclean spirit or what does it say? It says demon possessed. We're going to circle back around to that. One of the reasons I uh, use this um, Christian Standard um, Bible version is because it really does justice better with what's there in the Greek. And it's saying a man with an unclean spirit. And I'll show you in a little bit why that's important. Then the reality that the spirits, they know who? They know Jesus. So when you sing songs about the blood, they're like, oh, dear, we know what happened there. All right. They do. 
They really do. I mean, I was in a deliverance session once, and we were trying to really enforce the authority and the power of Christ in a situation to see somebody free. We were uh, hindered in some ways, as a passage that we'll look at again today shows there can be hindrance sometimes. And um, I finally just decided, instead of singing a song about the blood, because most time deliverance sessions, they're really beautiful sessions. They're not weird sessions like you might think. They're beautiful, powerful sessions of people becoming free from their garbage and everything else. And um, I just simply said, in the name of Jesus, I want to take you back 2,000 years ago to the cross. And I want you to look upon the cross, the one who was crucified, who died in the power of the resurrection from that. And you will stare that Jesus into the face and you will not thwart God's purposes of bringing freedom into this person's life. And this unclean spirit who um, was uh, sort of defiant, all of a sudden became real weak. And this, this is one of those times where I'm like, is this really serious? Because I have my doubts too, right? <laughs> Came back and went, I know. I know. I was there. I saw it all. I was seated on a rock. It is my defeat. I will leave. Now, a couple of things happened to the prayer group leader at that time. One is I'm like, good, right? And say, then the other's like, you kidding me? Get out of here. 2000, and you were there? Now, I don't know in the spiritual realm, yay or nay or not, but they know who Jesus is. They know the power and the authority of the cross. They know what the blood represents. They know what the cross represents, and they fear that. Some of you might fear unclean spirits in this room, but I guarantee you they fear Jesus tenfold more than you can ever come close to fearing them, even in your ignorance. They fear it. And here you got a great example. Jesus kick-starting his ministry, stands up and speaks. They're in the synagogue on that day, and all of a sudden, whoa, what do you want to have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed, shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. Then they were, like all of us would be, all amazed. So they began to argue or maybe discuss with one another saying, what in the world just happened? What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. News about him then spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. I think I would like to have been in that argument or discussion. See, we look back 2,000 years. We can look back on the cross. We know what Jesus did for us in transforming and changing our lives, for forgiving us, and, and the power that's been brought into our lives with his Holy Spirit because of the resurrection and him sending his spirit. We have all this knowledge. But they were at a place hungering and seeking the Messiah. And they probably had all kinds of run-around evangelist-type teachers. And none of them had the stuff. Jesus shows up, and he's got the teaching, the truth, and he's got the stuff. He's got the power. And they go, whoa, take a few steps back. And that's exactly what they started to do. And they started to see all that Jesus was doing, bringing in a new day, not only for them, but a new day in all of history, centered on the work of Jesus Christ in the cross. So news about him does begin to spread throughout the entire vicinity. 
As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So they went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now, the reason I continue on with sort of this intermediary aspect here of these verses is because of this healing, all right, of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She had a uh, she was lying in bed with a fever, some other kind of sickness, and Jesus walks in and heals her from this. Now, you can't say for sure, but if you take that word and you go back into the Greek and you understand why it was used there, it could reference that part of his healing was sending away an unclean spirit that was bringing about a fever that had come to rest upon her externally. And he said, be healed. And he sent away. The fever. Now, isn't that strange? But it shows this interplay, and that's why in the thing that we quoted about point number seven is Jesus is our divine healer and deliverer. And there's a combination of healing and deliverance that always goes on. Whether it's physical healing or emotional healing, it's healing. And deliverance is just sort of part of the healing that's happening. And so this is an example of what happened right after the demon um, man with the unclean spirit said, whoa, you're, you know, I'm out of here, right? The unclean spirit said. Now, when evening came after the sun had set, again, this is Mark chapter one. When evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were sick and those who were demon possessed. And here the word demon-possessed is used, but it's this Greek word, demoniazomai. I've referenced it as the word demonization or demonized. I do not like the word demon-possessed, not because you shouldn't be able to use it in Scripture, but because of what Hollywood has done and what the ignorance amongst Christians has allowed to transpire. Someone who is demon-possessed we think, is out of their mind. Someone who's foaming at the mouth, as this story had mentioned. But that's not always the case. They may not be in some radically dysfunctional state. It may be someone who just can't break through with some areas or strongholds in their life. And we need to rightly read the scriptures. And to rightly read the scriptures, a person who is demonized, is someone who has unclean spirits. And I think I've given this reference before a couple weeks ago. It's as if someone who has a cold has the sniffles and the headaches and congestion, and they get through the day, but at no time does someone look at them and say, are you cold-possessed? No, I possess a cold. Unclean spirits that wreak havoc, whether externally or internally, in the life of a person are like parasitic, excuse me for the crassness of it, but parasitic worms that somebody has. They don't even know they have them sometimes. But if you've ever seen worms, I'm not a medical person, but I have seen pictures, it's disgusting. Would you agree, those people in medical world? So I don't fear the devils, the demons, the powers of darkness. Yes, they rightfully have power in the ranks. 
I see them as parasitic, unclean spirits wreaking havoc in people's lives, and I'm having enough of it. And I say, you're done. Not because I have power. I have no power. There's power in the blood. Jesus has the power. We have no power. If you operate in the flesh many a times trying to overcome your strongholds, you get to a place and you say, I can't overcome it. Good. There's still hope. You've come to an end of yourself. Let's come to Jesus, allow Jesus to continue to do this work. Not that you don't participate in the work and stay clear from certain things that have kept you bound, but you pursue Jesus and his power. We have his authority to enforce his power, and Jesus can bring about freedom and healing to anyone. There is not one spirit of the dark side in this world that has ever existed or ever will, and I don't fully understand that world, who says, sorry, Jesus, you're not big enough. I'm bigger. Lucifer, who was an archangel, thought he was. He was cast down of the heavens unto the earth. Jesus has all power and all authority, and he's entrusted us with that authority, I want to read for you out of um, a book called A Believer with Authority. Uh, Paul King, he's with the Christian Missionary Alliance. He wrote about the life and the message of John A. McMillan. John A. McMillan's missionary, a longtime old Christian Missionary Alliance person. That's who we are part of as a denomination. And uh, he was a powerful prayer worker. But in this book, uh, Paul King quotes A.B. Simpson, who started our movement. And our movement is focused on Christ. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our Coming King. Very Christ-centric. That's why I love the Alliance, both here and around the world. About 2,000 churches of the Alliance in the U.S., 20,000 churches around the world. There's no more around the world because of its missions work. He says this concerning A.B. Simpson, who wrote an article entitled Authority of Faith. The word power should be frequently translated authority in the New Testament. Behold, I give you unto you authority, Christ said, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. A.B. Simpson was around in the late 1800s, early 1900s when he started this movement that we're now a part of. He did not promise the disciples power first, but the authority first. And they used the authority, the power And as they used the authority, the power would be made manifest and the results would follow. Faith steps out to act with the authority of God's word, seeing no sign of the promised power, but believing and acting as if it were real. As it speaks the word of authority and command and puts its foot without fear upon the head of its conquered foes, lo, their power is disarmed and all the forces of the heavenly world are there to make the victory complete. This was the secret of Christ's power, that he spoke with authority, he prayed with authority, he commanded with authority, and the power followed. The reason we do not see more power is because we do not claim the authority Christ has given to us. The adversary has no power over us if we do not fear him. But the moment we acknowledge his power, he becomes all that we believe him to be. He is only a braggart if we will dare to defy him. He is only a braggart if we dare to defy, if we will dare to defy him, but our unbelief clothes him with the omnipotence he does not rightly possess. 
God has given us the right to claim deliverance over all his attacks, but we must step out and put our foot upon his neck, as Joshua taught the children of Israel to put their feet upon the necks of the conquered Canaanites. And faith will find our adversaries as weak as we believe them to be. Let us claim the authority and the victory of faith for all that Christ has purchased and promised for our bodies, our spirits, and his work. I look forward to meeting this man someday who started our movement. I'm glad that when he came up with the fourfold gospel, he said Jesus was our Savior, our sanctifier, which means helps us become like Christ. But he's our healer. I think for us to do the work God's called us to do as a church, he's calling us not into a faith healing movement, but he calls us to a divine healing movement, upholding Jesus Christ as the provision through his finished work of the cross to bring about healing, especially, I believe, in the emotional and spiritual parts of people. There is brokenness all around. Some of you today are broken, very broken people, and nobody knows it. Some of you today, there's things happening in your life that you just can't tell anybody. One, you're embarrassed, but two, you just, you've just chosen to ride in hiddenness and allow the adversary to beat you up. You've got to come to Jesus. That's what they did. They brought people to Jesus. When evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. I'll pray with authority and the power of Jesus, but you're bringing them not to me. You're not having your small group uh, pray over uh, you as if the small group has power. No, you're coming to Jesus in the midst of your small group when you ask for prayer. If you want to get prayed for after church, and we say sometimes, you know, gather in a, a prayer area back there, you're not going back to a prayer area, to a prayer worker. You're going to Jesus. And the authority of Jesus, we take upon ourselves so that his power flows from that moment. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. But he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And the reason that was spoken is because he was just at the beginning of his ministry, and he did not want them proclaiming the full amount of who he was as Messiah and the Lord. And so he forbade them to speak because they would speak up pretty clearly. You are the Holy One of God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus, for whatever reason, he wanted to walk out this ministry. This was in Mark chapter 1. But if you do a study in the Gospel of Mark, you will encounter time and time again the spiritual realm. Jesus and his workers overcoming the spiritual realm. Jesus and his workers taking on demonic strongholds and seeing them demolished. Why is it that we as evangelicals, conservative evangelicals like to conveniently just pop over those passages I used to I didn't want to deal with this let's just talk about Jesus as our savior and Jesus as our sanctifier and Jesus as our our coming king but Jesus our healer that's sort of getting into some of the weird stuff Satan wins. 
hiddenness, secretness. He doesn't want to be discovered. Hush, 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 hush. I had somebody give me an article after church last week. I don't think I brought it up. From a psychiatric journal, and there are psychiatric problems. I'm not saying everything's of a spiritual realm, a demonic problem. There is need for counseling. There are psychological, emotional, behavioral issues. But in this, they were trying to articulate these cases they've come across, like what Jesus came across in Mark 1. And I'm sorry, I forgot to bring it up. It was something to a disassociated trance disorder. They put some big title to it. And I thought, well, that's good. You can put a title to it. What are you going to do about it if somebody has demonic strongholds? Whether you believe in that world or not, the reality is there. When I decided to not worry about what others think or worry about where this might take me because it's out in unforeign territory and some people that are control freaks need to be in control of everything, including the Bible and exactly what the Bible says, I just opened myself up to God and I said, you take me to where your real New Testament world is and what you're doing in our world today. Friends, nothing's changed in the spiritual worldview realm. We still have the same world that the New Testament people had to deal with. It just hides and disguises itself under different names. Spiritualism used to be the New Age movement, right? You'll come up with all different kinds of names, different generations, different instead of idols. You know, maybe we have certain kinds of crystals that have powers and stuff like that. And so, but it's all the same garbage. Jesus is the same Lord. And we should not fear and skip over passages. Because I believe the day and age we're facing, this is a serious world, demands that we see Jesus as the divine healer. You have a freedom, and it's not as far away as you think. Jesus is our divine healer and deliverer who expels the forces of evil, attaches the garbage of our brokenness, weakness, and sin. The unmatched power of Christ is enforced when we come to him. And it's summed up well in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy Jesus. These are words of Jesus. He knew what the thief was doing. But then what does he say? I have come. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you know somebody headed down a broken, dark path right now? Oh, it may not be involved in the spiritual warfare aspect, but just in the area of sin and waywardness. Jesus comes to them and he says, I've come that you may have life. But be careful, because the thief, he's real, him and his workers, and they come to still kill and destroy. This week, and last week actually, in Rooted, raise your hand. Have you been through Rooted before? It's our 10-week discipleship program. And in 10 weeks, it's a pretty beautifully intense week, 10 weeks. Week number five is a big week in Rooted. Because week number five in Rooted deals with spiritual strongholds. Spiritual strongholds, areas in your life that you've not been able to find freedom from. Okay? Now, strongholds sometimes are safe to discuss, but strongholds can be of different kinds of natures. And we're going to look at that, external or internal. And in week number five, and by the way, this is Rooted book. This was not developed in the United States. Rooted comes from the Swahili word, 
Mazizi, and from Africa, Nairobi, Kenya, and powerful church movements over there. And they put together this curriculum for discipleship. And in their curriculum, week number five, they start talking about strongholds. Week number three, they start talking about suffering. They're dealing with some real world stuff. And so it was brought to America. It was Americanized by Mariner's Church. And we use it here in our church sort of as an on-ramp to get into life groups sometimes, but also for us to do some just baseline discipleship work as a new believer in Christ and as a long-time believer. If you were to turn to Section 5, and those of you who have been a part of Rooted, you'll recall this. There is a section that outlines what the strongholds are, and it places categories of strongholds. Bitterness, control, idolatry, heaviness, jealousy, sexual impurity, false teaching and religions, insecurity, rejection, deceit, fear, and pride. Now, these are categories that are listed on here. And we're encouraged and rooted to identify what is a primary stronghold in our life that we've not been able to break free from. There are categories, but underneath these categories, you would find things like underneath bitterness is resentment, hate, unforgiveness, anger, violence, revenge. Under control is manipulation, lack of trust, worry, seeking recognition. Underneath heaviness is depression, hopelessness, despair, self-pity, loneliness, addiction, suicidal thoughts, and attempts. Underneath insecurities, inferiority, inadequacy, timidity, withdrawal, pleasing people, not God, lack of trust, worry, wrong, wrong relationships. Underneath fear is phobias, compulsions, perfectionism, fear of failure. Underneath pride is controlling, boasting, belittling, conceit, taking credit, selfishness, self-righteousness, and vanity. I mean, you go through this list, and those of you who went through it, especially my rooted group right now, you were recalling last week when we went through all this separate guy-girl groups as we went through this list and tried to identify our stronghold, and we're going like, whoa, there's a lot of stuff. I can pinpoint several. Well, these are sins. These are areas that we fall into by our sinful fleshly nature. Remember the three battlefronts, the ways of the world, the ways of the flesh, and the devil? It impacts all three of those. And normally we're dealing with things of the ways of the world, the mindset of the world. So sexual impurity, you know, we get into that and it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is totally fine to be able to have this kind of lifestyle or to, to do this type of uh, viewing on the internet or whatever it may be. And you're like, why is that? Uh, that's the way of the world. The world says it's okay. So you're slowly being enticed into the way of the world. Or there's the sinful nature that's calling out for issues of fear or pride. That's mine. And you're like, oh, yeah, our battleground predominantly, hear me, is in the ways of the world, and we need to renew our mind, and in the flesh, the cravings of the sinful nature, and we need to live in the spirit. However, sometimes these strongholds, as we allow Jesus to deal with them, as we come to him for forgiveness, as we come to him for his Holy Spirit to empower us to live for him, sometimes these strongholds fall below the hyphenated line and they become parasitic. And whether attached externally or internally doesn't really matter much to me anymore. I do know this, that they are like engines that will drive something and they need to be addressed through the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. And so in Rooted, 
what we do is we align them with some of the freedom and truth issues that come from this. For bitterness, it's forgiveness. For control, it's surrender. For idolatry, it's contentment. For heaviness, there's hope. For jealousy, there's gratefulness. For sexual impurity, there's purity. For false teaching and religion, there's God's word. For insecurity, there's security in Christ. For rejection, there's acceptance, deceit, truthfulness, fear, trust in God's sovereignty, and pride is humility. It's a great experience to walk through. And then you know what we do after we identify the stronghold on week number five? This is what we do. Some of you have done it. Some of you just did it two weeks ago when we prayed over one another. We take the authority of Christ as you make a humble prayer to him and you say, Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. I recognize the power you have given me by the shed blood of Jesus to demolish strongholds, uh, spiritual strongholds in my life. I confess that I have given a foothold to sin and I renounce the stronghold of you fill in the blank. You know where you're prone to fall. You know how Satan tries to take you down. And then you say, I claim the truth of blank. Whatever that truth and freedom is that juxtapose that. By the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, through your power, I take back the ground I surrendered to the enemy. I pray you will enable me to trust and obey your Holy Spirit so that this area of my life will be in conformity to the image of Christ. Amen. And amen, so be it. I briefly showed this to you a couple weeks ago. Taking that word demonization, showing that there's a continuum. There's a continuum between the external and the internal. And you can put whatever you words you would like along there. Temptations, disruptions, oppositions, obsessions. Oppression and bondage can all be of an external nature. We all deal with that demonization. There are certain weeks. And by the way, I want to thank all of you who are praying for me. I got a text this morning at 6.30 a.m. from a friend of mine from Minnesota. Actually, they were here a few weeks ago. And he says, I'm praying for you, Carrie, today. I want to thank you because I felt a tremendous amount of strength and power in this series. And when, when I thought about taking a whole month in this, knowing what the dark side likes to do, I feared it in part because he does not want this truth out there. He doesn't want us challenged to be open to this. Thank you for your prayers. I knew that this would be a heavy month of demonization in my life because I'm weird and I'm possessed. No, there's unclean spirits that seek to wreak havoc and they do not want truth. And they will fight. They fight against some of your spirits. Maybe even some people that, you know, uh, or friends of yours have been talking about this. Or people maybe listen to it. And because you don't, no, just stay closed off to this idea. Open up. Open up. And God's been very, very faithful. So thank you for your prayers. But there's external demonization. It happens with all of us. But somewhere, sometimes there's a gateway of entry. And that gateway of entry means they're no longer external. They now become internal afflictions, attacks, vexations. I won't get into that word. Come to the training. We'll talk about that word. And I'll even put possessions at the end. But there's a difference between the external and the internal. This, hang with me here. This is going to be key for us as we walk through these next couple, three slides. I'm, I'm really mindful that we need to understand this in part so we don't fear it. And the other part is so we have power to be able to, to see people freed from it, including maybe ourselves. I don't care not the external, the internal. There's all kinds of debate on all different kinds of things that go around with that. But you need to know this. And this is why the statement I'd read before is true.
Unclean spirits like to attach themselves to our garbage, our brokenness, our weakness, and our sin. Um, went to a ball game, and my son Levi's over here the other day, and I was walking back to the car from the park, and, and there's this whole line of ants. Some of you have them in your house. You get a line of ants. Why? Because they're going after some food or some sweets or something. And you're like, where did those where did it all come from? Oh, my gosh, they're taking over my kitchen, my pantry, right? Well, they're attracted to something, right? Well, in terms of garbage, one of the worst things that can be attracted to garbage to me are rats. Rats are attracted to garbage. If you have garbage, you will find rats headed your way. Now, I can even deal with rats sometimes because I grew up on a farm and there was a lot of rats and we work with, you know, grain and stuff. But rats, mice attract what? Snakes. And we're not talking about nice little garden snakes in SoCal. I had my encounter with my first rattlesnake this last year. Friends, I don't want the... (laughs) Garbage attract rats. Rats attract snakes. In the same way in the spiritual realm, your brokenness, weakness, and sin, yea, nay, as if it's justified or not, happens to all of us, right? Attracts parasitic snakes eventually and what you have to do is you have to get rid of the garbage in order to get rid of the rats deliverance work is more about getting rid of garbage what's referred to as inner healing than it is a power encounter of expelling an unclean spirit because an unclean spirit will not leave if there's garbage it won't how many times why will we not leave Because I have a right to stay. Why do you have a right to stay? Because this person doesn't want to do this. Time out. We cannot see you through and see the spirit of depression break off of your life if you choose to wallow in the garbage time and time again. Yes, things happen to you, but we got to go back and pull them out one at a time and see God's healing in every one of those moments, God's presence in every one of those moments, even when you were broken, even when you were being abused, whatever it may be. We go through inner healing with people in our deliverance time more than anything else, even pre and post. The expulsion of unclean spirits is just getting rid of the rats, and they leave once the garbage is gone or been taken to the foot of the cross. There's a lot to unpack there. Sign up for the spiritual training. We'll be talking about that more. I want to give this analogy. Because how does this work in the human being? Scripture says that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and who was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. The temple, if you took the temple in Jesus' day all the way back to the tabernacle, there was the outer court, there was the holy place, and there was the holy of holies. You familiar with this? Holy of holies is where the high priest only went once a year on the day of atonement to offer sacrifice. But then they would offer their own sacrifices on the holy places, and then there would be all kinds of things happening out in the outer court 
where they would establish, um, you know, trading for finding a dove or a sheep or a lamb to be able to offer as a sacrifice. All right, so this was going on all over the New Testament. And Jesus comes and he says, guess what? Your body, your whole being is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Great. And Jesus had a problem one day with some parasitic people that were sponging off others, that were setting up deceptive, unlawful kind of business practices at their booze out in the outer courtyard in Solomon's porticos. John 2, 15 says this, Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Do you know what Jesus did? He expelled the money changers. He expelled the rats. He said, this is to be a house of prayer. Get out. You can take your body and you can try to discern how it's wired. But I guarantee you, you'll come to at least admit these things. You have a physical body. It may not function well for you when you got up this morning. Maybe you're doing better. Hopefully so. As you age, you know. We have a body. We also have inside our body a mind, a will, and emotions. I wish you could take the brain, open it up, and go, oh, there's what you're thinking there. And there's, it's a mass. It's a brain. It's a mental capacity. We have a mind, but out of that mind, there's the volitional part, the will of when we do or do not do something. And the emotions are sometimes, you know, we just sort of feel them all through our body. Sometimes people refer to it as the heart, the soulish part of a person. But then, deep within us, we carry a spirit. It's our spirit. And before you come to know Jesus as your Savior, it is dead. You're flatlined. When Jesus comes into your life, your spirit awakens because his Holy Spirit comes and possesses you. And you now have the eternal spirit. And as the eternal spirit, you and I are sealed until the day of redemption. There is never, ever going to be any question in the mind of God if you are a Jesus follower and invited Jesus in your life. When you stand before him on judgment day, he's going to look at you with piercing eyes and say, I see my spirit dwells in your eternal being, for I am the eternal spirit. All right? But, guess what? There's parasites. Parasitic rats that are attached to garbage in our lives. And these are blemishes, they're falls, just like somebody can have cancer spots that are going on. We have a person in our small group, Kelly Creighton. We've been praying for Kelly. And this week, Kelly got word that, that uh, the cancer in her body is shrinking. And she's in remission. Isn't that cool? It's in the Hodgkin's lymphoma, and so they're able to spotlight the glowing parts when they do their scans. And I thought to myself, you know how beautiful is God and his healing, his divine healing. That's in the physical realm for Kelly, who will continue to pray for her and Brad. But in the spiritual realm, there can be afflictions, just like a Christian can have cancer. Sometimes there can be afflictions of these parasites that are internal, that plague on the mind, the will, and the emotions, and they have to be dealt with. 
Sometimes they're external, and so that's why I put all those, as somebody referred to them, pokey dots. You know, I got pokey dots all over the place, and, and the pokey dots represent these areas of affliction and, and that demonic spirits can drive. What does Jesus do? Jesus does the same thing in deliverance as he does as he did in the temple with the evil money changers. He expels them. He expels them. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. When they were all amazed, they, they began to argue with one another. What is this? A new teaching with authority commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. News about him then spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Sometimes I get this question. Carrie, are you talking about doing exorcisms? I say no. You know why? Because I know what's in the person's mind is Hollywood and other kinds of false understandings. Jesus was not a demon exorcist. Jesus was a demon expulser. And he expelled the unclean spirits. Do you remember our passage from last week, Mark nine fourteen through 29? Came down off the mountain. They were arguing, a man and his boy, they wanted him freed. And he said, your disciples couldn't get it done. Jesus replied, in verse 19 of Mark 9, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me he didn't talk about it he didn't debate all the fine theological points of something friends when you have somebody that's in a car that's burning you don't sit around and talk about maybe what's the best way to extinguish the fire or if you should wait on the fireman you try to pull the person out and Jesus just looked at him and said really is this what you're going to all do sit around and argue Bring him to me. He brought him the boy. He asked him questions. He walked through a, a deliverance kind of aspect. And then he commanded, you mutant deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. I close by listing four simple ways to resist demonic influence. If these parasites whether externally or internally operating, I guarantee you all four of these have truth in them. Ways to resist the demonic influences, spiritual growth and obedience. Jesus said, be ye holy as I am holy, not because he wanted to ruin your fun. It's for your protection. Stay clear from sin. Stay clear from the world's vices. You don't have to walk around in fear with the spiritual world. Oh my gosh, is it, you know, is this, is this is some garbage? Is this rat going to get us? I don't, I explain that truth to you to tell you how it works. Your focus is obedience and spiritual growth. And many times as you grow spiritually, even as a new believer, so strongholds are broken off of you because you're choosing for Jesus. Even some, I believe, that are internal, they'll leave. Relinquishing burdens and worship. Some of us all, we just worry way too much about all kinds of things. And the adversary sits around and gloats over it. Look at that. You're worried about your good looks. 
what other people are going to think because your job's not going well. Our insecurities, our fears. You need to take your burdens to Jesus and leave them there. He's with you. He's going to work through it. Doesn't mean you don't need to rightfully walk your way through good decision making. But relinquish your burdens and worship the Lord. They hate worship. Scriptural authority. As we mentioned last week, truth encounter. Jesus, time and again, said, it is written, the scriptures say. You know, we only were given three examples that we looked at last week. The scriptures say, it is written. But then we are right there in Mark 1. He's starting in his ministry. And what happens? It's not Satan himself directly confronting him, but somebody who has an unclean spirit from Satan speaks up and says, What do you want with us? You're the only one. Jesus continually had to deal with the demonic realm, but he dealt with it in an authoritative way through Scripture and truth. And then there were times that Jesus took on the direct command, what we refer to as power encounter, and you have to take that step and say, Get behind me, Satan. You know your stronghold. You name it. Have you ever prayed that the demon that's behind, that could possibly be behind, I'm not saying that there is, possibly be behind that de- that stronghold, have you ever told him to leave you? I guarantee most of the time not. Because we're not taught to do that. Or that's given Satan too much credit. Friends, that's not given Satan too much credit. That's given him credit because he wants to remain hidden and seduce and, se- and deceive us all. When you call out the name, you're taking him on. When you ignore it, that it could be below the hyphenated line, then you're giving him the power. It's really the other way around from what we think. When they're internal, there's direct commands, there's deliverance that needs to happen. And as I've told you, I've been involved in deliverance ministry for 30, 32 years. I've never done a series like this, in part because I was afraid of what you would think. But every person I've seen freed from demonic strongholds of an internal nature, I say to myself, oh my goodness, where would have they gone if we hadn't had this time together with me and these other prayer workers? Not because of me, but because people are going time and time again to places and they're not getting help on some of their matters. There are psychological problems. There are experiential. There is, you know, post-traumatic stress, other kinds. You, you name it. I'm not denying this world. I'm just telling you that sometimes issues, whether it be sometimes a person with suicidal thoughts, sometimes a person with sexual identity issues, sometimes a person with schizophrenic issues, sometimes these issues have rats attached to them and we need to expel them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, bring freedom to them. Bring him to me. Can you say that? I say it, but it's not to me, it's to Jesus. And let's deal with it. And here's the question. Maybe you think it's for special people or pastor. You're a pastor, you've had training. It's not. He sent them out to heal the sick, to take care of the poor, to proclaim the kingdom of God. And included in that list when he sent out his early disciples was to cast out demonic spirits. And they didn't sit around and go, da 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 They just went. 
And as you grow in this, you'll get bolder and stronger. Yes, you'll be weak in some ways, but will you take this area of deliverance ministry on in your life? You might have a friend. You don't need to talk to him about everything we talked about. I might blow him away initially. But when you pray over them, do you move from prayer? Oh, God, help this person. Please heal this person. Please help them in their sickness. Help them in their infirmity. Help them, God, with their discouragement, their depression, their overwhelming fears. Do you move from the prayer to fighting spiritual warfare and say, in the name of Jesus, as I pray, Pray for my friend, you unclean host who are attached to these areas wreaking havoc in his life. I remind you of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I command you that you would leave my friend alone in Jesus name. Trust me, your friend won't think that's weird. They will think this person's serious about their prayer. And we need to be serious minded this way. And this is my concern. That we demystify all this demonology stuff and we talk about it in open conversation. Yes, there's points of correction. I need points of corrections. I don't know all the truth in this way. I was reading somebody yesterday. He had 99 questions he was answering and I was enlightened on some things and I pushed back on some things. But let it be an open conversation and let's study God's word. Let's restudy the gospel of Mark in a different kind of way. But then let's also take on the authority of Jesus and see his power, bring freedom to people. One of the direct ways to do direct commands, it's a process that I'll be teaching in the spiritual training time. It's called testing the spirits. It comes from 1 John 4, 1, 3, and I close with this verse. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming. And he's even now at work in the world. We're going to talk about a time of testing to be able to discern. Are these spirits wreaking havoc internally in someone's life? Has there been a gateway of entry? More often than not, if that's the case, you have to deal with the rats by having a time of deliverance. I want us to prayerfully consider if we should be like Jesus' workers that he sent out to proclaim the kingdoms at hand to heal the sick to minister to the poor and to break demonic strongholds off people's lives I know it's a heavy ask Jesus this has been a long session today but I believe it's been a necessary session. The real heart and the crux, what I believe you wanted to bring to us. I don't know where it goes from here, Lord, other than that we just need to be obedient to your Spirit's promptings. It may be that we need to relook through Scripture with a different worldview lens than we've read it before. It may be that we need to own up 
to some ways that we have allowed the adversary to grab a hold of our brokenness, weakness, and sin to develop strongholds that we need to do as we've done in the rooted program to just turn them over to you, to renounce them, the stronghold and any workers behind the stronghold, and to embrace your freedom and your truth, a truth encounter. Lord, it may be that we just need to take another step to look at this more intently on a Friday night and a Saturday morning. Maybe it's that we just need to pray more earnestly, not only praying for our friends and family and lost ones, but that we would pray protection, freedom, and power over their life. Fight the spiritual warfare because of the blood that was shed that brought about his defeat. Amen and amen.